You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the Becca Cook Show. I'm Becca Cook, and today I want to get into a book that I just finished reading that kind of blew my mind. <laughs> and I, I actually want to do kind of a series on this book and sort of kind of go through the book and give a synopsis of each chapter in the book over the next several weeks. And actually, I'm having the author of this book come on the show in mid to late April. So by the time we get through kind of discussing this book, he will be on the show and we can uh, get into it. So the book is called, it's this book by Carl Truman. And the book is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And the subtitle is Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the road to sexual revolution. So again, here's the book. And today I want to take a look at the introduction of the book because it's it kind of lays the groundwork for what he's he's going to talk about in this book and it's so crucial for for everyone really to understand but certainly for Christians to understand how we got to where we are today. And I want to start off by just asking, by the way, Milo Yiannopoulos, I know a lot of you have asked me about Milo and his his conversion to Christianity or to Roman Catholicism and how he's returned back to R Roman Catholicism and how he is, um, it's been in the news that he's kind of giving up his gay life to pursue celibacy and to pursue God. And so I've been in contact with Milo. We spoke and he agreed to come on my show and I'm not, but we're still kind of working out the date. So stay tuned for that. Cause that's going to be an interesting interview with Milo Yiannopoulos. But so today I want to get into this book and what it says about where we are and how we got here. But first I want to ask four questions. Number one, what does the 18th century Genevan philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau have to do with gay marriage and Cardi B and Bruce Jenner becoming Caitlyn Jenner? How, how, what is the connection between Rousseau and Caitlyn Jenner? Because there is, there is a very direct connection over the last 200 years. Number two, what do the Romantic poets... By romantic poets, I mean the poets of the 18th and 19th century, William Wordsworth, uh, Percy B. Shelley, William Blake, those poets. By, and by romantic, I don't mean like Valentine's Day. Romanticism was a, a literary and cultural movement uh, at the turn of the century between the 18th and 19th century. But what do those poets have to do with the high divorce rate, the extremely high divorce rate in our current culture right now? Number three, what do Friedrich Nietzsche, Karl Marx, and Charles Darwin have to do with abortion? 
because abortion is directly linked to these three men, these three philosophers and scientists. And the last question I want to ask is what does Sigmund Freud <laughs> have to do with Kim Kardashian and Kylie Jenner taking erotic selfies, semi-erotic or erotic selfies and posting them on Instagram as if it weren't it's just as if it weren't a problem or an issue at all. And of course, you know, I I studied Freud in college. Actually, I, I spent a, a junior year abroad in Vienna where Freud was from and where he practiced his, his psychoanalysis. And I sat under a professor in Vienna. Her name was Dr. Leichlechner. And she was a committed Freudian, which is kind of bizarre because most of Freud's theories have been debunked over the last century. But she was still a committed Freudian, which was kind of interesting. But so we're going to get into these kind of we're going to answer these questions and much more by going through this book. And so I just want to start with his statement, Carl Truman's statement in this book, his, his very first statement. And it's the following. He says, and this is why he kind of wrote this book. This is the reason he says the origins of this book are about how this statement came to be regarded as coherent and meaningful. And the statement is the following. Quote, I am a woman trapped in a man's body. Now, that is a very profound statement to make. I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. And he talks about, Carl Truman talks about how his grandfather would, if he heard that statement, his grandfather has passed away years ago, but he says if his grandfather heard that statement, he would burst out laughing and think it was gibberish. But he says now in our culture today, not only is that statement meaningful, but it's so significant that to deny it is to be seen as a stupid, immoral, and have some sort of irrational phobia. And actually to deny that statement is could cost you your job. It could cost you your, friends, your friendships. It could cost you your livelihood, it could cost you a lot by, by rejecting that statement. So a dramatic tectonic shift has taken place in culture when we hear that sentence, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, and we don't even flinch. And this isn't even just relegated to kind of academia, the, the halls of academia and, and, and professors and, and the like. This is ordinary people who have no kind of real di direct knowledge of critical postmodern philosophies have kind of just accepted this as reality, as, as kind of this is the way things are. And Caitlyn Jenner, we've just accepted as this is, this is what, you know, this is what she wanted to be and this is who she is. And and it's interesting how we got to this place and it started 200 years ago. And that's why we have to go back 200 years. And I know last week we talked about the movie Greece, but Greece 
it was just the tip, not the tip of the iceberg. It was the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg because Greece would not have even been made without the Genevan philosophy, with, without Jean-Jacques Rousseau's philosophy 200 years ago. So we have to, we have to back way up to get to understand how we got to where we are today. And Truman goes on to say that this, that statement, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body carries with it a, a world of metaphysical assumptions, assumptions about who we are as human beings. Uh, is there a God? Is there something transcendent? Are we just material beings? It has, there's so many assumptions about that, uh, in that statement. There's so many metaphysical assumptions and, and it gives priority. That statement alone gives priority to inner convictions or inner psychology over biological reality. So again, it's, it's no longer XX and XY chromosomes that determine who we are or as male and female. It's a whole host of psychological issues. And we'll get into why that came about. And Truman talks about how the sexual revolution didn't cause the sexual revolution. The sexual revolution of the 1960s was caused by, by factors that went, again, that went way back to Rousseau and to the romantic poets and to Nietzsche, Marx and Darwin and, and Sigmund Freud. So we've got to examine those movements, those, those people, those philosophers and scientists and psychoanalysts to understand that, to understand selfhood, because it, it completely transformed the way we understand selfhood, the self and who we are. And we've gotten to a place in our culture where sexual politics dominates our culture. And there's a reason why that, that has happened. And the behaviors that came out of the sexual revolution, homosexuality, pornography, sex outside of marriage, are not anything new. I mean, though we've that's been going on since the beginning of time. I mean, human beings have have always engaged in homosexual activity and looked at pornography and have had sex outside of marriage. But the difference is that the modern sexual revolution has completely normalized these behaviors. That's the difference. That's the key difference. Not only normalized it, but politicized it and made it into law. People in generations past looked at pornography in various forms. I mean, whether it was etchings on a, a wall or a tablet or drawings in a, in a, on paper in a magazine, pornography no longer carries the social stigma it once did or the shame it once did. It's now commonplace in our culture, even at the Grammys. I mean, when you see Cardi B dancing, I didn't watch the Grammys, of course, but I just saw a headline and that's all I needed to see. But Cardi B dancing in hyper-pornographic ways and sexual ways, is that's commonplace today. And that show was broadcast to millions and millions and millions and millions of people. And we don't bat an eye. That's just, that's just the way it is. And 
And so the accessibility of pornography is also another factor. I mean, before getting access to pornography, you had to kind of go through go through kind of the shame of going to a, a, a store or a you know a rental place to rent pornography or you had to be kind of you had to risk being seen in public doing that or buying a magazine but now you can just touch your phone and bring up any porno, pornographic video or image you want to at any time of the day or night and there's no one around to see that so that is a huge, huge, huge uh, shift in culture. And Truman goes on in, his, in this introduction to, to say that the sexual revolution doesn't simply represent kind of an, an expansion of, of the, the transgression of traditional sexual mores and codes. It actually abolishes those codes entirely. So we've seen that, obviously, in our culture where... Anything goes, and all bet. I, I say this all the time. All bets are off, and you anything goes. You can do anything, and no one. There's no sort of external, uh, transcendental moral force that prevents that from happening. And in terms of homosexuality and homosexual behavior, if you even critique it at all or 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 say that that's not what you believe where you believe sex should be expressed or how sex should be expressed you're immediately ridiculed and and seen as as mentally or morally deficient that's why the 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 language of phobia is so useful to the movement because it, phobias are, are irrational. Like if I have a, a phobia of, you know, being at the, on the top of a building, that's an irrational fear. But and that's what, and that's why the word phobia, transphobia, homophobia, that's why those words are used. That language is, is very specific. And it was, it's not an accident that those are used because it makes the person who doesn't go along with, with the, this movement, seem irrational and truman points out a very interesting point in this in this introduction he he talks about the movie the 40 year old virgin and he says that just from the title alone in our culture from the title alone the 40 year old virgin we know immediately that it's a comedy because how in the world could someone be celibate and not have had sexual intercourse or have been sexual until they're 40 years old. It doesn't make any sense to us in our culture where sexual expression is core to our identity. And so the 40 year old virgin is obviously a comedy. And of course it was, uh, you know, a hugely successful comedy. And it just, in our culture today to, to be sexually inactive is to be less than a whole person is what Truman says. And he says that the old sexual codes of celibacy outside of marriage are considered ridiculous and oppressive. And people who advocate for that, like me, are considered to be wicked, stupid, or both. So 
that's where we are today. And so this is truly, the sexual revolution is truly a revolution because it's turned everything upside down. It's, it's revolved upside down. The revolution is, is real. So that's where we are today. And I always talk about how we live in this upside down world and it's not going away. That's the thing. Uh, and the, the only, I think the only way, honestly, I, I think the only way this is going away is when Christ returns. And I, I <laughs> hope he returns soon because it's crazy. We live in a crazy world, but we need to pray for, we need to pray for this world. And then Truman cites the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor, and he talks about the self, the nature of the self and what it means to be a self. And there, he talks about three points about this. Um, there's, there's now a focus on inwardness or the inner psychological life. That's why, you know, it's, it's all about our inner psychological life, our intuition, our feelings. It's not about objective truth or objective facts. And these feelings and intuitions give us a sense of who we are and it's it it gives us a purpose of our lives for our lives and that's why there there's that language of living a lie i mean caitlin jenner when she was on 2020 said that when she was bruce jenner she was living a lie for all those years and that that that's what kind of this prioritization of the individual's inner psychology promotes, or that's what it does to us as human beings. It, it, it's, that's why there's transgenderism. That's why gender is fluid. And, um, and that's why young kids are deciding whether they want to be male or female or want to be gay, bisexual, transgender because it's all based on psychology and our and our inner psychology and our feelings and our intuition. There's nothing facts are irrelevant. Um, objective biological reality is irrelevant. And another uh, another point he makes is that job satisfaction used to be in our culture. Job satisfaction was about being able to provide for our family to, to feed and clothe our family. That's where we got, that's where humans got job satisfaction, but that's no longer the case. Now job satisfaction comes from a sense of inner psychological well-being, And that's why, I mean, I, I'm guilty of that. I moved to Los Angeles, you know, looking for that kind of looking for a career that would satisfy my inner psych psychological well-being that would give me well-being um, rather than looking at work as something that I do to provide for a family. But obviously that was, <laughs> that was complicated because I was gay uh, at the time. So I didn't have a family, but it, you see, you get the point. It's, it's shifted from job satisfaction is, has shifted over the the last decades to mean compl something completely different. And, and now if we don't have the dream job that we want, or if we're not doing something that we love to do, there's something wrong with us. 
there's people look at people ask, why are you, why aren't you doing what you love? And there's that pressure. There's a constant pressure to do what you love for a living, which is completely a new concept and is alien to, to past generations. And the last point he makes is that nature provides us with an inner moral source that the world around us gives us an inner moral source rather than a transcendent God, rather than God giving us a moral source. We, we find our morality from, from, from nature around us and from our inner psychological self and from focusing on, on those things. And so, um, when, when we use our intuition and our feelings as our moral source, everything, again, everything, this is all postmodernism. I mean, everything is subjective. And so my idea of morality may be completely different from your idea of morality. My idea of, of abortion being wrong can be completely different from your idea of abortion being a, a woman's right to choose and a woman's right to her own body. I mean, so it's, it's completely talking past one another because there's a, such a huge chasm between, between the material world and people who rely on the material world as their source and rely on themselves as their source of morality versus relying on a transcendent being, i.e. God as the source of your morality. And there's this huge emphasis today on being your authentic self, being authentic, being authentic. And I, I talked about this before. I had a friend who is a photographer and she re, she did a photography book and it was called The Authentics. And it was all about, you know, people living their authentic lives. And, and it's interesting where that comes from. It comes from Jean-Jacques Rousseau 200 years ago. So Rousseau's philosophy is that man is born good in the state of nature man is good that's why the familiar quote from rousseau is that man is born free but he is everywhere in chains so man in his state of nature is born free is free and is good and what corrupts man is society because man has to conform to societal codes and sexual codes and uh, moral codes. And, and it's almost like when you enter into society, you have to almost pretend to be somebody else. So that's why it makes sense that today being authentic is being, being yourself without any, in, without being encumbered by the rules of society, by the, the, the mores of society, by the norms of society, by the norms of sexual codes of society by, you know, traditional marriage, Tr traditional marriage is something that's something that is, is, is oppressive and something that we need to throw off the shackles of marriage. We need to throw those off because we can't be our, our authentic selves, according to Rousseau and others, because in marriage, we have to pretend to be something we're really not because the, and again, Rousseau, the whole concept of the noble savage was Rousseau's concept. 
because the, the, the man in nature in the state of nature was noble. And it's only when he becomes part of society and becomes, uh, becomes a kind of almost a victim of the, the rules and codes of society that he loses his authenticity. So we can, we can thank Rousseau for, for Cardi B's performance at the Grammys. And of course, as Christians, we know that underneath all of this, underneath Rousseau and all the others is, is something much deeper in its Romans chapter one, where they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we know as Christians, we know that original sin, that the fall is what brought brokenness into the world, brought sin into the world. And that is really underneath all of this. But it's, it's very interesting to look at not just that fundamental basis, but to look at Rousseau and and others from 200 years ago that have shaped us as a culture that we're not even aware of. We're we're, we're blithely unaware, as as uh, she says in uh, Devil Wears Prada. We're blithely unaware <laughs> of the culture that we're in now and how we got here. And it's you know it's interesting. It's like my my nieces, some of my nieces and others I see. Um, are happily and without even a second's thought take semi-erotic selfies of of themselves and post them on Instagram and think nothing of it. And and I always say this, we live in a very specific time and place in history and we we don't even we're not even aware of the things that have influenced us and how we've gotten to where we are today. So it, that's why it's so important, especially as Christians, to understand how we got here and, and what world we're living in. And that's why, again, Christians and even Christians in the church are starting to believe the lies of the culture because it's it's basically been 200 years of indoctrination. And so it does, it's not a surprise that even strong Christians, even believers have fallen for the lies of the culture are, you know, posting pictures of, of semi-erotic selfies or, you know, in, in imbibing the culture, watching the Grammys without thinking, huh, this may be pornographic and why am I watching this? Or, or accepting the idea that homosexual behavior is not sinful uh, or, accepting uh the idea that divorce is you know it's not a big deal like i'm kind of not feeling this anymore and what's the big deal like let's just get a divorce we're not we're not in love anymore these ideas are all completely new ideas that stem from rousseau and others so we're going to get deeply into that in this book. And what's interesting is how quickly, I mean, in, in the early 2000s, the majority of, of Americans were opposed to gay marriage. But now it's just absolutely accept, not only accepted, but celebrated in, in most of the country. And, 
And we don't really even know why. And again, I talk about this a, a lot. It's just like people I grew up with and went to high school with who, who would have been completely opposed to homosexual marriage or gay marriage are now a hundred percent on board with it. And even post things on Facebook. I see friends from high school post things on Facebook that are pro gay marriage. And it's just like, what do you think has happened to you? What do you think has taken place? And why do you think your views have changed? Do you think it could be the power of the culture? And by the way, this is why without Rousseau and without the romantic poets, Shelley and Wordsworth and Blake, and without Nietzsche, Marx and Darwin, TV shows such as Will and Grace and Grace and Frankie with Sam Waterston and, uh, and Martin Sheen, who play geriatric gay lovers. I mean, these shows would not even be, they would be bizarre to people 30, 50 years ago. Modern Family, Queer Eye, Pose, which is the the show based on the on the drag queens of, in the 1980s in, in New York. Or Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race, which is just a hugely popular show. I mean, these things would, would be unheard of. And movies such as The Kids Are All Right, where Annette Bening and Julianne Moore play lesbian lovers, and Carol, the movie where Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara play lesbian lovers, or Brokeback Mountain with Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal, and Call Me By Your Name, which, I mean, these movies, the, the reason these movies and TV shows have been greenlit and have been made in Hollywood is because of this revolution that started 200 years ago. And so we we can give thanks to Jean-Jacques Rousseau. It's always the French that kind of ruin things in the world. <laughs> I mean, they have great food, but their, their philosophies always kind of ruin things. And Germans as well, uh, Nietzsche and Marx. And so Truman says the acceptance of gay marriage and transgenderism are simply the latest outworking the most recent symptoms of deep and long-established cultural pathologies. And that's true. And so part one of this book is all about the triumph of the therapeutic, of the psychological man. Truman mentions, and he, he says this is oversimplistic, but he mentions these categories of, of where we've come from from antiquity until now. And he says the first man was the political man. So in Plato and Aristotle and ancient Greece, the, the, the seat of democracy, that was the political man. And then we moved into an era where it was the religious man in the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church. That was the religious man. And then that moved into the economic man with the advent of the Industrial Revolution and capitalism and then the economic man moved into where we are today, which is the psychological man. And the psychological man is, is again, is all about personal psychological happiness, which is where we get the idea of expressive individualism. And it's where we, it's why kids on college campuses have complete meltdowns over triggers and they need safe spaces. And so we're in this age right now of the psychological man, and it's it's 
it's extremely pernicious and extremely destructive to society. And in part two of the book, he goes, he talks about Rousseau and the romantic poets and Nietzsche, Karl Marx, Charles Darwin, and he gets into and how how their philosophies and their poetry and their even science or pseudoscience shaped us. And he says that Nietzsche, Marx, and Darwin dealt lethal blows philosophically and scientifically to the idea that nature has an intrinsic meaning and that human beings have special significance or an essence that determines how they should behave. So, and he, he goes on to say, in the hands of Nietzsche, Marx, and Darwin, the world loses its innate tel teleology. Teleology just means end or purpose. We lose our purpose as human beings if we buy into the philosophies of Nietzsche, Marx, and Darwin. Darwin, if you believe, as Darwin's theory of evolution purports, if you believe that we are just a, a result of random mutation and natural selection and that we evolved from from primordial soup and that we evolved from apes essentially then it strips away all medical metaphysical foundations for human identity and for morality there is no morality. There's no basis for morality if you're Darwinianist. There, there absolutely is no basis for it. Some, you know, Peter Singer at Princeton had, can argue for some sort of basis for morality, but there, there actually isn't. There's no foundation for it if there is no God, if there is no transcendent being who created us and who gives us a, a moral uh, purpose and gives us a a telos gives us a teleology. And in part three of the book, Truman deals with the sexualizing of psychology and the politicizing of sex. And, and of course, he attributes that to Sigmund Freud. And he says that Freud, more than any other figure, made it plausible that, that humans are at the core sexual beings. So Sigmund Freud was obsessed with sex. <laughs> I don't know if you studies Freud, but he was obs absolutely obsessed with sex. And he, we, we now believe that at the very core of who we are is our sexual drives and our sexual urges. And those sexual drives and urges have, have thus become our identities and in our modern culture. And so we can we can thank Freud for that. And in part four of the book, he talks about the rise of the prominence of, of the erotic. And he gets into the, the high culture version of the erotic in terms of surrealist artists like Salvador Dali. And he, it's interesting. He talks about how, you know, unwittingly kind of ordinary people have may have a poster of a Salvador Dali painting in their house or or a Salvador or an, or an original painting of Salvador Dali and but we don't even understand that that his that his movement of surrealism was highly responsible for the erotic culture we live in now and then and then of course the low form of that is pornography 
and we I talked about that earlier how pornography is pervasive and uh and it's so destructive. And he says he says in part 4 he says my conclusion is that the triumph of the erotic does not simply involve an expansion of the boundaries of acceptable sexual behavior or the notions of modesty but actually requires the abolition of such in their entirety. We again we live in a culture now where we any kind of modesty or any kind of sexual norms or mores are just absolutely thrown out the window and we reject them and we happily accept whatever TV show, whatever movie, whatever, whatever they tell us, we just accept. And we don't really see it as necessarily even television commercials are (laughs) television commercials have become pornography. I mean, even in a 30 second or 15 second commercial spot, it can be pornographic and erotic. And, and as a culture, we just kind of have accepted that and we go along with it. And, and again, I don't see how this trend can be reversed. Obviously God can do anything, but it's interesting because it's, as a culture, we have come to accept homosexual practice as as the norm, gay marriage as the norm, transgenderism as normal. But why haven't we accepted polygamy as as normal? Why haven't we accepted bestiality as normal? Why has, haven't we accepted peace, uh, pedophilia as normal? I, although I, I do think we're on the track to start accepting pedophilia as normal. I think the legalization of bestiality or pedophilia is not that far from, from happening. So that's where we are. That's where the sexual revolution has brought us today. Um, and it's affected us personally. It's it's affected us culturally, legally, theologically, ecclesiastically, and we're going to get into, as I said, we're going to get into the details of of this and as we go along through this book. And I'm going to kind of you know go through each chapter and give a synopsis in each episode, and it, because it, it really is so important for us to understand the cultural things that are influencing us and that are, are, are driving us to believe things that are not the truth, that are not from the word of God, that are not biblical. And so I think, uh, it's very important to go through this and I'm excited to, to speak with Carl Truman, uh, next month and sort of get his get get more in depth and into his book but that's all we have for now and i will see you next week on the becca cook show and thank you for joining don't forget to like share and subscribe and i'll see you next time thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the becca cook show your support makes this content possible all episodes of the becca cook show are also available on youtube For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com.
a crazy world out there, moms and dads. I'm Katherine Seegers, host of Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.